Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about super fund returns for the 2019-2020 financial year that has just ended. Uh, as a result of the coronavirus, uh, obviously markets have been very volatile uh, and had a, a pretty significant drop in March. Uh, and uh, at that time, we were warned by a lot of the super funds not to expect uh, positive returns. Uh, that being said, there's a couple of funds that have actually produced a positive return, uh, which is which is good, or at least might seem good on the face of it. Uh, but if you delve a little bit deeper, I'm not sure I'd be sitting there all that confident. Uh, so in this uh, podcast this week, what I'd like to talk about is industry super fund returns for the last financial year. And what I've done is I've compared the eight largest industry super funds in Australia. And uh, I've used data provided by our research provider, Lonsec. Uh, who uh, have a, a subsidiary called uh, Super Ratings. And, and uh, what they do is they monitor, research and review uh, all the super funds in Australia uh, from a, a few different perspectives, including asset allocation, overall management, risk management, uh, and of course, investment performance. Uh, CBUS won the race last year. Uh, so what I did is I compared the options with the most similar asset allocation, and I'm going to talk about this in a second, but just because a fund, uh, an investment option is called balanced doesn't necessarily mean it's balanced, and they all have different options which all have different asset allocations, which means a certain amount of, uh, a, a, a certain amount of your money is invested in higher risk assets uh, compared to lower risk assets. So you can't compare options just based on their name. Now let's compare compare all balanced options, for example, because they might have very different asset allocations. Anyway, I've done the hard work for you. I've compared the asset allocations and then selected the options on that basis. Uh, And uh, CBUS wins the race. 1.93% positive return. That's on the top of the table. Uh, And then the worst performer out of the top eight is Host Plus with a negative return of 1.74%. Uh, now, you might say, okay, well, uh, either of those results are pretty good. And considering the environment and what's gone on, uh, of course, yes, they are pretty good. Uh, but of course, they're only one-year returns. And uh, that really isn't the right information to base uh, any assessment on. I would look to longer-term returns. And over a 10-year period, uh, the top three funds are Host Plus, Unisuper, uh, which, as the name uh, suggests, it's uh, predominantly there to service people employed in by universities, uh, and in, and Australian Super Fund, Australian Super, I should say, which is uh, the largest industry fund in Australia. Uh, their um, uh, their returns for on a ten year period are very very similar, uh, which is uh, you would think is surprising, and you wonder. Um, not is there any window dressing or manipulation going on, but I guess all I'm saying is uh, for the returns to be so similar, um, it's interesting. Uh, I guess let's just say that. Anyway, let's talk about that um, in a second. Uh, 
you know, there's no better marketing for an industry super fund than investment returns. You know, for them to go out and tout we were the best last year or we were the best over 10 years, that is good marketing and that's good for members, obviously. Uh, I was really interested to read an article in the Financial Review last month uh, about Host Plus balanced option. Uh for its financial year leading up to uh, or ending May 2020, so the first 11 months of last financial year, its balanced option had returned negative 3.5%. However, as timing would have it, on the 29th of June, so the day before the end of the financial year, the fund decided to revalue its unlisted property assets uh, 6.8% higher than what they were valued at. Uh, and this halved its year-to-date loss, and uh, Host Plus ended up with a loss of uh, 1.74% uh, for the financial year. How convenient, right? Uh, so this is based on the uh, article, the information in the article from the Australian Financial Review. Uh, and uh, I'm going to talk about my concerns with respect to transparency and accountability, and particularly with unlisted assets like this that allows a fund to, um, at least allows a fund to subjectively revalue assets at particular points in time, which can have then material impact on their advertised returns. And we know their advertised returns can have an impact on uh, the growth in fund members, uh, which obviously cements people working at the industry funds. It cements their employment. If their fund is growing and their fund is doing well, uh, their job is safe. Uh, So uh, I'm not suggesting that um, uh, there's anything untoward about this, uh, but because of the lack of transparency we're going to talk about in a second, uh, it it just invites scepticism, I guess. Uh, Before we talk about you know, the three concerns that I have with industry super funds, let's talk about fees. Uh, because quite often, industry super funds, uh, you know, they advertise a lot, which again, we, let, let's let's have a think about whether we should be spending money, members' money on advertising. Uh, you know, how does that really help existing members? Uh, what it does do is help uh, the people working in that fund to, again, cement their job security by attracting new members. But should uh, existing members have to pay for that? Uh, big question mark. Anyway, industry funds advertise based on the fact that they're not-for-profit, that they're for members, they say. Uh, and quite often, uh, the misnomer or misunderstanding is that all industry funds have low fees. However, I've got a table, uh, in fact, a chart uh, in the blog and, of course, as always, link in the show notes uh, to the podcast – uh, that compares the uh, the fees um, in respect to uh, these different these eight industry funds, and the fees range from 0.53 of a percent to 0.95 of a percent. So the fees can can change by 100 percent. So uh, first state super, uh, which is typically uh, for people that work in hospitals or healthcare sector, first state super has the highest fees. Unisuper, which again typically uh, uh, um, invests for people that work at universities, has half the fees that First Aid Super charge. So um, it's not true that you should just go, oh, industry super fund, low fee environment. 
the fees can change considerably. And interestingly, you don't have to pay more to get more. So uh, sometimes people might think, well, I've got to pay a higher fee to get a higher return. Well, it's actually reverse is true. Uh, Unisuper has been a top performer, uh, not so much for uh, First State Super. So I guess people in First State Super are getting um, impacted uh, twofold. Uh, one, they're underperforming in terms of returns, and two, they're overpaying in terms of fees. Uh, so again, the the uh, more information obviously in the uh, on the blog on the website. Uh, so let's talk about my uh, three concerns with industry super funds, uh, and all of this is based on independent research, uh, and then obviously my knowledge of the sector as well. Uh, so uh, firstly, my first concern is that it is uh, for a layperson, it would be very difficult to uh, identify the best investment option and or compare investment options. Uh, so quite often, uh, industry super funds will have pre-mixed investment options. Uh, you know, there'll be a defensive investment, a balanced, a growth, a high growth, and so forth. You'd be familiar with this. Um, uh, but unfortunately, there's no consistency with respect to asset allocation. So I could have a balanced investment option uh, and most balanced investment options have a, a asset allocation that's closer to a growth asset allocation. And the reason they do that is to have more assets invested in growth assets to provide higher returns. So that if I'm then advertising or comparing my returns for a balanced investment option uh, against a super fund that is truly balanced from an asset allocation perspective, uh, your, you as the layperson will go, wow, this, this fund's generated better returns, so I'm going to go there. And so um, there's some issues associated with that, but also uh, the underlying assets are important too. Uh, so let's um, it, what I did is I compared all the investment options that are called balanced, and then I compared their asset allocation. And again, I've got another interesting chart uh, on the blog on the website about this. Um, but let's pick uh, just two examples. So, for example, CBUS, uh, for its balanced option, only invests 31.5% of those monies in equities in Australian or international shares. Whereas if you compare that to Unisuper, it's investing 60% of that asset allocation. Now, it's not surprising then um, uh, that uh, CBUS has, has performed the best over the year because it has the lowest amount invested in shares in that investment option and the share market has had to weather a few storms. Of course, then uh, you would it would be absolutely fair for you then to ask, okay, that's good, but what else does CBUS invest in then if they're not investing in the share market? And I would say that's a very, very good question for which no one really has an answer because of there's not a lot of reporting and transparency. Um uh, but I have um, charted, as I said, the asset allocation between all the investment options between Australian shares, international shares, property, fixed interest, cash, and then an asset class called alternatives. Now, this alternatives asset class is quite opaque, but alternative investments can typically include infrastructure, uh, private equity, uh, so that's really unlisted uh, businesses and credit, which is corporate bonds. Uh, so bonds issued by corporates, that could be high yielding sector, which means they're not investment grade bonds, or they could be from the investment grade sector. But really, alternatives can really include anything, including derivatives, currencies, commodities, and so forth. The point is, a lot of those assets in that alternatives category 
are unlisted, uh, that are illiquid, um, not very transparent, and it's impossible for you as a superannuation investor to understand what is that option invested in. And also, it's very difficult for us then to um, draw a conclusion of whether we're happy with the valuation. You know, do we think... Uh, so, for example, if we look at Amazon in the uh, US trading at 120 times profit, um, most of us most of us are going to look at that valuation and go, well, that's ridiculous. I don't want to invest in that. Uh, whereas uh, we can't do that with um, superannuation. So uh, industry super funds, I should say. So it makes it very difficult for me as an advisor to say to you, is it good or bad? I just don't know. Um, you look at the headline returns, you go, that's good, but I don't know if I'm going to put my faith in headline returns that, okay, for one year it was a great return. You know, am I still happy? We've also got to consider the risk. So if I can't do it as a professional independent advisor, how are you going to do it um, as a layperson? So that's my first concern is that asset allocations can vary significantly, uh, that they vary over time as well, so throughout the year, uh, and that um, super funds can manipulate the asset allocation in order to generate better returns to make themselves look better, but it's at the risk of the investor uh, if you're manipulating that asset allocation. Okay, second uh, concern is in-house investment management. Uh, so in the endeavour to reduce fees, which is good, uh, a lot of industry funds, in fact most industry funds, are increasing the amount of investments that they manage internally. So um, historically, what industry super funds have done is decided to employ uh, a varying range, uh, array, I should say, of, of active fund managers, uh, and they give them investment mandates to say, we want you to manage this portion of our money. It could be Australian shares, for example, um, private equity, whatever it might be. And then they would hold those investment managers accountable for achieving the returns that they desired. And they could then sack the investment manager if they weren't performing uh, and move the funds to a different investment manager. The downside to that approach is that investment managers are for-profit businesses and they charge high fees. So one solution then is to say, okay, let's not use investment managers, let's hire our own investment staff and do it internally. And so, for example, with Australian Super's balanced option, 39% of the assets are managed internally uh, and they aim to increase that to 50% by 2021, by next year. Uh, now, it might sound like a good idea, but there it comes with some challenges. Uh, firstly, uh, this is a new investment management approach. So again, if we look at past returns, uh, those returns were predominantly produced by external investment managers, not internal investment managers. Now, if that approach is changing, what impact will that have on returns, if any? I'm not suggesting it will. We just don't know it, so it creates some uncertainty. But there's also some challenges with uh, internally managed investments. The first one is it's harder to sack an underperforming staff member, particularly in an industry fund environment that is heavily regulated or, in fact, run by the unions. Uh, so whereas uh, if you have an external investment manager, very easy to hire and fire. You've got a mandate there, they're providing a service, it's a business, and you sack them if they're not going to provide the service. Very different if you have a team member. Uh, how long do you persist with that team member before you get rid of them uh, and, and so forth? Uh, secondly, if you um, have a really high-performing 
um, uh, investment manager, how do you retain them? So if I'm working at Australian Super, for example, I'm managing their Australian equities portfolio and I produce some fantastic returns, I'm going to get poached by a lot of investment managers, for-profit investment managers that are potentially going to dangle some dollars in front of my eyes. Uh, And uh, so that's a challenge as well. Uh, And then staff turnover. Uh, Every business has staff turnover. Of course, external uh, investment managers need to manage that. But now that will be the role of the industry funds and how well they're going to do it. So this is a a sort of really watch and see kind of situation of internalizing investment management. Of course, it could go in both directions. Of course, they could produce better returns possibly as well. Um, We just don't know. And it's a bit of a question mark, if you like. My third and final concern is probably my biggest, is the lack of transparency. And in the absence of transparency, very difficult to hold anyone accountable. Uh, Whereas if something is completely transparent, it means there's nowhere to hide. You can't hide um, risk. You can't hide uh, investment performance. You can't hide fees. And so uh, this is true, not only just with super, but with really all investments and, and many things in life. But as I've said, there's uh, almost no transparency in terms of individual investment performance, uh, risk, uh, and so on, those sorts of things. And so it's near on impossible to understand what your super fund is investing in. And that's what uh, research provider Lonsex cited uh, when it downgraded Australian super's rating uh, in May this year. The existence of unlisted investments uh, is potentially a cause for concern as uh, valuation and prices is n- are not set in the open market setting. Uh, so, of course, uh, funds are subject to financial statement audits uh, and have investment committees and internal controls and those sorts of things. But the reality is unlisted assets or the valuation of those assets is quite subjective uh, and there's there's inherent uncertainty with respect to those assets. So the and and my example of Host Plus revaluing its uh, property asset, direct property assets, on the 29th of June, it's a really good example of that. Now these revaluations might in fact be prudent and accurate, um, but the timing, together with the overall lack of transparency, invites scepticism, and that's not a good thing in my view. By comparison, though. Uh, Listed companies have continuous disclosure obligations by law. So if you invest in uh, CBA shares, for example, CBA must report to the ASX uh, any information that, and I quote, a reasonable person would expect to have a material effect on the price or value of the entity's securities. So it needs to have that transparency. Uh, and it creates a really good transparent market for which investors then can base information on, uh, base uh, investment decisions on, uh, and uh, and and that market, that open free market, works really well. It's my view that this should extend to industry super funds, that they should have to disclose any information that a reasonable person would expect to have a material impact on the value of or performance of their super. Of course. Most industries don't want to invite increased amount of transparency because that of uh, quite often then translates into an increased amount of accountability uh, and leaves them nowhere to hide. And as I said, most um, uh, businesses don't really want to do that. 
But I think there needs to be a significantly higher level of transparency. You and your advisors need to understand and ascertain what is the risk in that investment portfolio? What is the likely future returns? Uh, And then we can make a decision because that's going to then impact all your other assets. If you're taking high risk in your super, for example, maybe you want to take lower risk in other investment decisions. It's very important, but it's it's very opaque at the moment. Uh, industry super funds, a lot of them have index options uh, as well. So, uh, so you might have a balanced option and then a balanced index option, which invests 100% of the monies in index funds. Um, and whilst I'm a big fan of indexing, I have two concerns with respect to uh, those options. Uh, the first one is that it's all market cap indexing. And if you listen to my podcast last week, uh, I've got concerns about um, uh, traditional market cap indexing or at least being 100% invested in such a methodology uh, because it follows price bubbles and so forth. And the second uh, concern is the asset allocation of those uh, options tends to be quite conservative uh, and they've underperformed over a five-year basis by about 1% per annum. Uh, so, you know, that's something we need to consider. So in actual fact, uh, if you're going to invest in an industry super fund, um, I probably wouldn't recommend the index option for those reasons. Now, uh, in the interest, again, of transparency, I would love to invite and I continue to invite transparency in my financial advisor relationships uh, because I want to make sure that I'm doing a good job for my clients and I'm very, very happy to invite that transparency uh, uh, to make sure I'm doing a good job because if I'm not, don't pay me any fees. That's a, It's that simple. So you might be then be thinking, Stuart, how have your portfolios done for your clients with respect to superannuation? Uh, well, I guess firstly, um, every client's going to have a different asset allocation, uh, invest in different assets at different times, make contributions at different times, and that can have an impact. That being said, let's have a look at it. Um, I always construct portfolios with an aim to maximise medium and longer term returns. I, I think that shorter term returns are largely inconsequential. So what I've been doing over the last, uh, let's say, uh, 18 months uh, is starting to uh, move a lot of our investments into value-based and quality-based overlay methodologies. So going away from market cap indexing because of the concerns I have with respect to valuations of markets and there's a disconnect, uh, there's arguably a disconnect between what's happening economically at the moment and what markets are doing, particularly if you'll just look at the US market, it's it's back to where it was um, pre-COVID. So uh, what I've been doing is trying to move assets away from those sort of overpriced, those overpriced segments. Uh, now that hadn't hurt returns uh, up until uh, December last year. So for the calendar year 2019, our portfolio's weighted average return was 19.5%, so a great return, nearly 20% in a year is a fantastic outcome. Uh, uh, but because we've been investing in um, uh, more value-based methodologies, for the, for the last financial year, our, our funds lost uh, 3.8%. So that's the weighted average return. Again, different clients, different asset allocations, but that's an overall so really, um, uh, CBUS was the best performing at about uh, just under 2% positive. Ours lost 3.8%. So there's a 5 
uh, 0.8% difference there, although I'm not that concerned. Of course, I'd love uh, better returns, but um, it's not my aim to achieve the best returns each and every year. Now, uh, stockbrokers and fund managers typically only advertise returns when they're good. Uh, My returns aren't that good this year by comparison, Um, but of course I'm happy to be accountable and talk about it and be open about why we have achieved that um, those outcomes. I am also happy to say over a 10-year period, uh, ended December 19, our returns were identical to Australian Super, which is the highest performing um, industry fund over a 10-year period. So it's just been this last six months because I haven't participated in the um, uh, stocks that have gone crazy, essentially. that's uh, And I'm very clear on why we have underperformed and I uh, have pre- prepared something for my clients that, that looks um, in great detail uh, why, where our performance has occurred. And really it's um, things like, for example, we've not had a lot of exposure to CSL. CSL's share price has increased by 33% over the financial year, but we hadn't wanted to participate in such a high PE-valued uh, company. Uh, similarly, in the US, uh, we're going to have lower exposures to um, uh, Amazon and companies of that ilk uh, that have generated significant share price uh, gains and dominate the index, uh, and that's why uh, we have underperformed. So whilst we've underperformed last financial year, the way I'm looking at it is we're now positioned uh, to really generate significantly better returns in the medium term, and that's really what I'm after is maximising long-term returns. Most importantly, however, my clients and I have full transparency on where the performance is and where the risk in the portfolio is and how we're managing that risk. And that's really, really important. We know exactly what we're investing in. We know exactly what each manager, which index they're tracking, uh, which methodology they use. uh, And there's a high level then of accountability for the results. So... Very long uh, podcast this week, so I apologise for that, but really important uh, points to really get across. The most important things, I guess, is that the most important predictors or reliable predictors of medium to long-term investment returns are how is your money invested, so that's the asset allocation and the methodology used, and then to the fees that you pay. Past returns can sometimes be a guide to future returns, but not always a reliable predictor. And so super investors would be well served to consider some of the risks that I've just outlined in this podcast. Of course, there is more information uh, on the blog in the website, on the website, including those charts that I referred to, and I've taken up way too much of your time. So that's it for this week. Bye for now.